Very good morning. I'm so glad to see all of you here for our service. Uh, we are looking at the passage of scripture from the gospel text, uh, which is a sign from the lectionary. And uh, I entitled my sermon, What Me Worry? Those of you who grew up in the 70s know where this phrase comes from, right? Mad Magazine, Alfred E. Newman. <laughs> it's sort of a snarky phrase that was used. But, you know, it's a good question. I guess if I wanted to be more contemporary, I'd say, don't worry, be happy. But uh, nonetheless, we live in an anxious age, don't we? We live in a time in which there's a lot of anxiety. I know it's great joy that we hear we're going to Doscon Green from Tuesday. So you won't even need to wear a mask in public transport anymore, although in healthcare situations, they still ask us to be cautious. And in that sense, it sort of marks the fact that, you know, we're really in an endemic stage and the pandemic has passed. But I don't know if you are like me, you voraciously uh, consume news. You know that the expert says this is end of this pandemic. It's not the end of all pandemics, that there is a possibility that something like this may happen again. I mean, if you told me that we were ever going to shut down all of society sometime in uh, January of 2020, I would have laughed at you. Right? That was, I know we went through SARS, but it was a very minor sort of uh, shutdown. It was almost a dress rehearsal, and I think that was why uh, you know, our nation was prepared in some ways, because SARS had prepared us for it. But certainly we, we, we wonder and we look forward with some anxiety and if that's not anxiety-producing enough, you know, if you look at the news and you see the state of the economy, right? Yesterday I was talking to the young people in our Saturday service because they tend to skew a bit younger. And some of them I know are employed by the tech industry. I wanted to find out any of them laid off, but then I realized some of them had already left Google and was <laughs> working somewhere else, so they were spared of that exercise. But there's no telling when they have moved on. You know, is there going to be job security? We don't know. We don't know how inflation will uh, be and whether you know, our money will still be the same. And I could go on and on about these macro things. But the reality is, you know, when we get down into our own lives, there are many things that cause anxiety in our life. You know, will my children make it through their big exam at the end of the year? <laughs> Have I been a good enough parent and been you know, disciplined enough to make sure I set them up for life? Will uh, I be have, have enough funds in retirement? You know, as I look forward, and uh, you know, they're increasing steadily the uh, retirement age. Well, is that good news or bad news? <laughs> you know, uh, will I be able to um, uh, come out of this next health check with a clean bill of health, or is something going to be discovered? And I could, you know, talk about all the anxiety, but Jesus understood our frailties. You know, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, this passage that was read. And um, last week, we of course read from the earlier part of the passage where we talked about being salt and light, and I, I, I talked about its importance. But you remember at the end of that passage, uh, Jesus said, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And actually what follows on from that is really him describing the law, which is what the scribes were interested in, and then righteousness. How do you live a righteous life? What the Pharisees were majoring on. And basically pointing out, this is the standard God calls us to in his kingdom. And then we get to this part, which is actually has to do with our righteousness. And let me unpack it for you. But it begins here in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, 
nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? And from this passage, I want to make three points, simple points. Uh, and as all preachers do, you try and start with one letter, right? <laughs> so I picked you. Worry is useless. And worry is actually faithlessness, but you know, it doesn't start with you, so I put unfaith, which isn't really a word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and finally, worry is unnecessary. So what do I mean by worry is useless? Verse 26 goes on, Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Does anxiety add anything to your life? No, it maybe causes more grey hair. Right? It subtracts. It certainly doesn't add any time to your life. In fact, it probably eats time. Because the worry eats you up and you cannot function. And, you know, the reality is that uh, the past can't be changed, neither can we chart or predict our future. So worry is ultimately useless, which is the first point, and it's a simple point, and I think all of us understand that, so I won't <laughs> belabor this point. But the second is that worry is unfaith or faithlessness. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is today, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. He points to creation and he points out that Anxiety betrays the fact that we lack faith. Uh, Robert Mounts, uh, a pastor and preacher from the previous century, said, Worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. And that hits you between the eyes, right? I mean, by and large, I think almost all of us sitting here, hopefully all of us sitting here, are not atheists in any way, shape or form. Not in the normal sense of the word. We all believe in God, even if we may not be Christians, we subscribe to this concept of God, otherwise you probably wouldn't be sitting here at all. But do you realize, by being anxious about our life, we are basically saying, God, you don't exist. Maybe not intellectually, but practically. That worry takes our eyes off God and puts it firmly on ourselves, as if everything depends on me. That's why we end up with anxiety, isn't that right? But more than that, you know, may I suggest to you that, that it betrays a, a, a kind of mentality that is, um, I think, endemic in the world, if I could use that <laughs> terminology, that it is there and it is hard to eradicate, and it's a fact of life. Uh, in preparing for this, one of the commentaries I came across was by Stanley Hawass, who is actually a um, um, theologian, uh, used to teach in Duke University. He's now retired, but considered one of America's greatest theologians. And he wrote a theological commentary on the book of Matthew. And in commenting about this verse, he says this, Abundance, not scarcity, is the mark of God's care for creation. But our desire to live without fear cannot help but create a world of fear, constituted by the assumption that there is never enough. 
Such a world cannot help but be a world of injustice and violence because it is assumed that under conditions of scarcity, our only chance for survival is to have more. What he's trying to say is this. Because we are driven by our fears, it is human nature to accumulate more and more. That this you know, uh, uh, desire for more, this quest for more, this ambition for more, is driven because we fail to see that God provides abundantly. That we feel that, you know, if it's to be, it's up to me. (laughs) That I'm the one who is in charge of my security and my future. That's why we sometimes uh, uh, accumulate more and more. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying it's wrong to put aside savings for a rainy day, for your uh, retirement. It's entirely good and right. It's, it's wise, you know, elsewhere scripture talks about that, that we need to do it. But when is enough enough? When do we say it's enough? And we begin to, you know, be uh, uh, clear that we are not owners of what we have, but stewards of it, that we are only managers of what God has given us. He goes on to talk about this idea. Abundance, not scarcity, is the mark of God's kingdom. But that abundance must be made manifest through the lives of a people who have discovered that they can trust God and one another. Such trust is not an irrational gesture against the chaos of life, but rather a witness to the very character of God's care of creation. So it's no wonder that Jesus directs our attention to birds and the lilies to help us see how it's possible to live in joyful recognition that God has given us more then we need. What he's speaking about here is for us to live with open hands. <laughs> open hands to receive from God, but also open hands to be generous with the things God has entrusted us with. To be generous to those around us, to trust that God provides, but that God also takes care of our every need. That you know there is a limit that you can prepare for because you really can't predict the future. How could you predict that, you know, at at some point, the world would shut down for two and a half years. <laughs> How could you predict what would happen you know, in, in the days ahead? You can never really predict. You see, the instinct, if you look at the context of this passage, just before this, Jesus tells them, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And why? You see, our instinct to protect ourselves, to provide ourselves more security actually works against it, uh, uh, security. Because when you store treasures here on earth, moth and rust can destroy, thieves can steal. It is not secure when you place your treasure on earth. You know, I uh, remember <laughs> um, one of my relatives had, um, you know, got a really good job and bought a really nice condo. And, uh, you know, the first time he owned a nice something nice, when he went away on holiday, he insisted I must come and check on the house, you know, and make sure I check all the locks and everything else. And I don't know, you know, he was very (laughs) insecure. And I I thought, condo, come on, you got security, everything should be fine, right? And, you know, I went, I checked, everything looked fine. When he came back from holiday, he gave me a call. He said, do you come and check my house? I said, yeah, I did. And he said, what's wrong? He showed me the back door. Someone had been trying to pry open the back door Fortunately, the back door was solidly <laughs> built. And, you know, ultimately, the, the person was uh, um, unsuccessful in terms of breaking in. 
But you know, it struck me, if he didn't have this, he had an HDB flat and had very little in his flat, I don't think he would have been so kanchong about what he had. You know, and that's the reality, isn't it? When we place our value and our treasures in things that cannot last, is that true security? That's really what Jesus meant when he said, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake... You will find it. So, worry is faithlessness, is unfaith. But the third point is this, that worry is unnecessary. And I skip on down to the end of the passage. I'll come back and circle back to the other verses. But in verse 34, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Right? That first bit is obvious in some ways, but sometimes, you know, we need to be reminded. When you're anxious about what's coming up next, do you realize you expend double energy? Right? You're anxious before it happens, and when it happens and it really comes to pass what you feared would happen, happens, you're anxious again. Or at least you spend a lot of uh, emotional energy over it. (laughs) So you've worried about it twice over. But the worst case, I mean, the reality is most of the time, We worry about it and then it doesn't occur. So we've spent needless energy worrying about it. That's what Jesus is trying to say. You know, the day will have its own uh, troubles. And, And the point he makes is this. He doesn't promise us a bed of roses. That there is trouble in this world. Right? He, he warned his disciples that when he spoke to them on the night that he was betrayed in his uh, um, um, Olivet Discourse. But he says, do not fear, for I have overcome the world. That uh, I think the idea that sufficient for the day is its own troubles also helps us keep life in perspective. I don't know how many of you follow the news of what's uh, taken place in Turkey, Syria, with the you know, earthquake and the devastation to human life, partly because of the greed of contractors who didn't build to spec, knowing that they live within an earthquake zone. But the reality is, I mean, it was always a disaster waiting to happen because there are so many people who've been relocated there who are trying to flee, you know, ISIS and the, the turmoil in Syria. And they already lost almost everything. Now they've lost even more. And, and the fact that winter is setting in and there's no shelter, you know, is... is, is It puts things in perspective, doesn't it? (laughs) When you think about your worries and what you are going through, and you realize you're not living there. We're living here in safe Singapore where we're outside. The other day, my wife checked me. Are we in an earthquake zone or not? Because <laughs> she's wondering, we've got all these tall buildings all around us. you know. <laughs> I say, yeah, as far as I know, it's never happened. <laughs> Doesn't mean it will never happen, okay? <laughs> Understand this. But, you know, it's, it's, it, historically, there have been no earthquakes. And, you know, we are relatively safe and free in this country. And it's really God's blessing upon us. But, you know, in light of what Scripture also tells us, he also says that, you know, the sufferings of this present age, the reading we had from the epistle, are nothing compared to the glory that we will face. That all of creation now is groaning. Yes, there is trouble but it's groaning as in the pains of childbirth, i.e. it's temporary. 
It's awful in the moment that you're going through it, but the joy that awaits after far outweighs and far outstrips, which is why worry is really ultimately unnecessary. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not making light of our troubles. I'm not making light of the fact that there are many anxiety-inducing events that happen to us in life. But what Jesus is trying to say is let's keep things in perspective and understand you know, that there is a gracious God who oversees us. And this is the point that he is making in verses 31 through 33. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, the implication of what Jesus has been teaching here is he's asking the question is, what do you truly seek? Yanin sort of intimated that when she was introducing one of the songs. I don't even remember which song she was talking about. But you know, what is our ambition, in other words? Is our ambition for selfish, personal gain? Even if it's for the sake of so-called securing security of our family? Or is our ambition... God? Do we seek God? Seek his kingdom? Seek his righteousness? You know, there's a clue to how we can do that. Um, You know the Sermon on the Mount has a full description in Matthew's Gospel, but Luke also has an account of the Sermon on the Mount, a bit more concise and much more uh, pointed, I feel, (laughs) in some ways, which gives us an idea because uh, it helps us understand its context. In Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 34, you know, Jesus is... uh, teaching about this in in Luke's recollection of what happened. And it says there, So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the persons of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. This is how he concludes this uh, section about saying, don't be anxious about anything, don't worry. He points out that the way we can do it is to make sure we don't hoard what we have for ourselves, but to give to those in need. You may ask me, Pastor, who do I give to in need? Last week I had an interesting uh, dinner with a couple of uh, friends uh, in the clergy ranks and one of the, this clergyman, his brother-in-law, happens to work now uh, executive director of the Lian Center for Social Innovation at SMU. And, you know, they try and find ways in which to um, meet uh, needs in society. And he highlighted to me a study which they uh, published in 2020. It was done just before the pandemic and was released at the pandemic. And it's a study called The Hunger Report. And the point of this study was to share that in Singapore, there are certain segments of our population that do not have food security. I know we talk about food security in the larger scale. You know, Singapore is so small, we don't grow our own agriculture. How can we secure our our food sources by making sure we import from various different places so it's never cut off? But this is talking at it at a much more basic level. 
And basically, what they found is that there are 10% of our population, or of the people surveyed, which represent our population, 10% have gone through uh, 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 an episode in the year where they didn't know whether they could put food on the table, where there was no food security. And of that 10%, at least 40% of them face this every month. You would think, oh my, you know what Singaporeans' favorite pastime? Eating, right? <laughs> and we've got, you know, food everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go, you, you, you will find food at all hours of the day. And the food's not expensive. I mean, you can actually get a plate of chicken rice for $3. You say, Pastor, tell me where afterwards I want to go and find it. <laughs> I know it's harder and harder to find, but it is possible. Okay, maybe $4. <laughs> but still, it doesn't seem like a lot of money. And yet there are people who struggle to put food on the table. You know, we've talked about our uh, theme for the years for such a time as this. And it's good that we recognize that God's called us and placed us in positions for such a time as this to share the gospel. Last week I talked about using the blessed strategy and I hope you are taking it to heart and finding ways to exercise it. Uh, this month I'm going to talk to your CG leaders and give them you know, practical steps and give them a, a little handout which he will then share with all of you. Those of you who are not in cell groups, join the cell group to get it. No, never mind, come and see me and I'll put the resources in your hands. But uh, you know, it goes far beyond that. For such a time as this is this, there are some of us here in this congregation who have resources, who have knowledge, who have know-how, who have spheres of influence that we can make a difference in this hunger report. They've come out with a second one, which sort of uh, looks at it qu- uh, qualitatively. Right? That was a quantitative analysis, but the qualitative, they start to ask, what are the factors? And in fact, I think the government, after they heard this, were a little bit upset. But they turned around and said, uh, we want to commission another study, dig deeper into this. And you know, it's great. Our government's wonderful. They do a lot to take care of the least and the last in our society. You know, uh, yesterday I had uh, one of our church members who heads up the MSF. He used to be here in Queenstown, now he's in Jurong. But, so he knows they do a lot, you know, to find those who are struggling but there's only so much that he can do. You know, he was telling me, I was talking to him the other day, they are overwhelmed actually with the numbers, caseload that they have to deal with. They can just barely administer handouts to them. And we know that's not a long-term solution, is it? That there are things much more complex that, you know what, it takes more people getting involved, ordinary citizens who are willing to step out of their comfort zones to make a difference. That maybe God has called us for such... I'm using this just as an illustration. I'm not asking all of you go out tomorrow, go and buy groceries and then start <laughs> distributing. Although, you know, if that's what the Lord tells you to do, by all means, please go do that. But what I am saying is this. If we want to seek God's kingdom and we want to seek His righteousness, it goes beyond coming to church regularly. It, it begins there. It's great that you're here. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm wonderfully pleased that you are. But it takes considering what God has done for us and taking it further. But I want to end on this because if I ended just here and I say this, you know, 
it can be a very guilt-inducing thing because you may say, I, uh, pastor, you know, how, how much you want me to give? You know, and uh, uh, that's not my purpose, okay? I'm not trying to guilt you into it, although it's good if you want to give and give uh, generously later in the offertory. But I want you to go back and you really think about it. But, you know, if we do it in our own strength, we are going to fail time and time again. Because guilt only lasts so far. I talked about that earlier uh, this year when we started this whole series. You know, guilt is temporary because after a while, guilt fades. Right? Something else comes along and makes us more guilty. <laughs> and then the impetus to do what we had set out to do sort of fades. But what really should compel us and constrain us is what God has done for us. And, you know, in the passage reading from Romans 8, it starts out with talking about the troubles that we face that are momentary, that, uh, you know, are fading compared to the glory we shall receive. But he goes on and then he, you know, this, these famous verses that we come across, especially Romans 8.28, many of us have memorized this and we cling on to it. But I want us to read it in its entirety and in its context. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He called us for such a time as this. But then... This is the clincher. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, ultimately, this is the antidote to anxiety and to worry. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. There are many things in life that can cause anxiety in life. And most of it is linked to the fact that you know, we wonder how it will affect our future and how it can secure uh, us. And you know, I'm, again, not trying to make light of it, but in the light of what God has given us, is there really any need to fear <laughs> That's what it means when it, Paul said to the Roman Christians, you know, God works together in all things to make them good. Not that all things are good, but his end purpose is for our good. That even if we are going through tough times right now, anxiety producing times, even if we are going through things that you know, cause us to lose sleep at night, let's put our trust in God. Why? Because he did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ. Why should he withhold anything else from us? If he's given us what is most precious to him, why would he withhold anything that is meant for our good? That we can trust him. That is the basis on which we combat worry. That's why Jesus said to us, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. The cross tells us he cares for us with an unconditional love that knows no bounds, no limits. 
And that is where we choose to place our trust. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. For your encouragement to us to not be anxious about anything. Elsewhere it tells us, but in everything to give thanks and to make our supplications known to you. To let you know, Lord, the things which weigh heavily on our heart. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to lay these burdens down at the foot of your cross. In acknowledgement, Lord, that you do love us very, very much. And to acknowledge that, Lord, you are at work in our lives, even if we don't always see that work, apparently. And Lord, I pray that this transforms us from being a people who grasp and hold tight to, to becoming a people who release and open our hearts to those who are in need to ways in which we can make use of the gifts and the talents and the abilities you've given us to bless those around us. I pray, Father, that it would cause us to recognize that you have called us to this time and to this place for such a time as this. Ask and pray all these things in your Son's most precious name and all God's people say, Amen.